Hey, good morning, everybody. Go ahead and have a seat. So good to see you guys. I love that moment there where I, I say good morning, and you kind of, do I sit? Do I stand? What's about to happen? And then you're released to sit. So, so glad you guys are here today and that you um, woke up at the um, what felt like an hour earlier and you braved the world and you are here. It's going to be awesome to hear from God's Word today. I have to tell you, though, um, what I'm talking about today, which is really just what comes next in Philippians, is giving and generosity and money, and it's on daylight savings, lose an hour of sleep day. So I want to warn you guys right now that I think Dave has it out for me. <laughs> Um, that I am uh, teaching to the people who have lost an hour of sleep about money today. But anyway, it's just the next thing in Philippians, so please excuse the fact that we're, that's what we're talking about today. But as I was thinking about generosity, one of the things that came to mind, you know, when I lived in Chicago, I didn't live there for very long, but you kind of have to develop a certain way about you when you live in a big city, when you're out on the town, right, when you're walking the streets, because there's this thing that happens in big cities, at least it happened when I was in Chicago, it probably still happens today, where somebody will walk up to you and and hand you something, and you will do the natural human thing, which is put your hand out and receive it, and then they will try to charge you for the thing that they have handed to you. And so, so often, you just go outside and you are bombarded with people asking for things and putting things out in front of you, and you just have to have your mind in the zone. You got to be walking the streets. You got to be eyes on the prize. Don't accept anything. Don't look at anybody. Don't talk to anybody. Just get where you're going which was really hard for me to learn that because I I like to think that I'm kind of a friendly person, and so I like to be friendly with people, but you have to be not friendly for your own safety, for your own protection, right? And I kind of lost that being in Spokane because, you know, people are friendly here, and there's not a lot to worry about here. But then last summer, I had a string of incidents where I really started to get back into that zone because my friendliness and my openness to people who would come up to talk to me just in any sort of situation would kind of end up being something that came back to bite me, and so um, almost literally sometimes. But um, <laughs> but even this one this one scenario where I was buying, actually not even buying, getting free sod on Craigslist. Which anybody out there buy or sell anything on Craigslist ever in your life? I, wow, surprisingly not as many people as I would have thought because Craigslist is just the best thing in the world. But it is the wild west. You don't know what you're dealing with there. You got to be careful, you know. Um, and uh, most of the time, you'll get, you know, you go to sell, you know, anything, and you'll get a thousand responses, and then nobody will buy it. But um, I was going to get some free sod on Craigslist. We were resodding our lawn, and I was unloading. I was loading the sod up into my uh, hatchback, which was also a Craigslist find. And I was putting the the sod in there, and I'm talking to the guy who's getting rid of the sod. He's putting in a pool, and so he had torn out all this sod, and he didn't want to take it to the dump. So he was really happy that. I was there to take it for free, and so we're just chatting. He's a lawyer, and you know we're just kind of shooting the breeze as I load up the sod, and I notice this guy walking toward us who is shirtless. It's a summer day, so it's not, I guess, that weird, but he's shirtless, and he's yelling at cars as they drive by, and I'm just starting to think this could be a problem, and so we're loading up the sod. I'm loading up the sod. I'm chatting with this guy. This guy comes up, and he starts helping me load the sod, And initially, I think, well, that's pretty nice of him. But then I start realizing if he's, I get the Chicago mind, right? And I start thinking, he might ask me to pay him for this service rendered to me in loading the sod. So I start trying to explain to him, you know, that's really okay. You don't have to help. And I'm getting more and more firm, like, no, put it down. That's okay. Thank you so much, but no. And the guy, I notice he's getting, the, the guy who's helping me load the sod is getting more and more agitated and angry. And he starts yelling and he's getting in my face. And I can't understand a word that he's saying. And I'm terrified, right? But then the Craigslist guy, he is in his garage and pressing the garage door and it's lowering down and he just kind of waves at me and I'm left out there alone. I'm glad you think this is so funny, guys. 
And so eventually it all turned out okay. <laughs> I made it out okay. I got the sod. Our lawn is looking great, if you were wondering about that. But <laughs> no, you probably weren't. No, not at all. But I started to realize that those kind of incidents started to make me close myself off when I was out in public, in crowded areas, because I started thinking about all the things that could go wrong. And it strikes me that that is a very similar kind of attitude that we can have with money, with our finances, with what we have in general. I think sometimes we want to talk about greed as this sin that is just this evil kind of, you know, miserly Scrooge McDuck type greed where you're just amassing loads of money and you're diving into a bathtub full of coins and dollar bills. But that's not really the kind of greed that you and I probably tend to struggle with. The greed that you and I probably have is that fear-based greed, that attitude that says, I can't trust that if I give what I have away, that I'm going to have enough for myself down the road should I come into trouble. And that's the kind of greed that, that is driven by fear. It's driven by a lack of confidence that we're going to be taken care of in life. And so it's on that note, on that note of that kind of greed that is really just fear, that is really just anxiety, that Paul writes this passage to people who are struggling maybe with that same exact impulse. And so I want to recognize that God knows our weaknesses he knows our fear, and he still gives us scripture like this that challenges us in such a powerful way. Let's look at this together. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 15. Paul writes, You Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice accepting and acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. And then let's all say amen. Yeah. This is a powerful passage of scripture. And it is deeply, deeply challenging for us to look at this scripture and see the kind of giving and the kind of generosity that Paul talks about here. Remember that the Philippians, this church that Paul so loved and that so loved him, had sent him a care package. And we don't know exactly what was in it. Probably food and clothing and other things like that. Probably finances for Paul to support him as he sits in prison awaiting trial. And, and we know from this passage that the Philippians have supported Paul for some time. And so so in this section of this letter, Paul is commending this church that he has relied upon for their support. He's commending them for the way that they gave to him. And so I want to look at what is that way? What manner did the Philippians take in giving to Paul? And I want to look at a few different things. First of all, the Philippians gave when no one else did. Look again at verses 15 to 16. He says, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, so the beginning of my preaching of the gospel, that means when I left Macedonia, the region where Philippi, where this church is, he says, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. And then he adds, even in Thessalonica, which is another city far away, he says, even there you sent me help for my needs once and again. You know what's really interesting about the Apostle Paul? 
He's saying that he came into the the region of Macedonia. He planted all these churches there. We know from the book of Acts that he planted at least three churches. But we know if you look at the end of the first century at how many Christian churches in different cities were in that region, there are as many as six. So it's possible Paul planted even more than the three that he mentions that are mentioned in the book of Acts. And so between three and six churches are planted by Paul, meaning that Paul comes into these cities, preaches the gospel of God's grace, of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, the gospel that tells us about Jesus who went to the cross for them so that they could be spared condemnation and come into God's presence. He preaches that miraculous, amazing message of love and grace. People respond to it. They accept that message. They come to be saved. And then only one out of all of those churches, actually sees so much value in that message, the message which they have benefited from, that only one church sees enough benefit in that to actually support Paul in carrying that message forward at first. That is a shocking thing to realize, that so many of these churches were so, so young and so uh, infantile in their spirituality that they didn't even partner with Paul in bringing that message to other people who so desperately needed it. But the church in Philippi does, and they do when no one else did. They are the pioneers. They are the early adopters of Paul's mission, and they support him when no one else does. Second, the Philippians gave above and beyond. Look again at verse 18. He says, I have received full payment and more. He says, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And so the Philippians here, notice they didn't only give to the level of Paul's need. He didn't just say, look, I've received everything that I need, but actually I've received everything that I need and then some and more. And so the Philippians are willing not only to give to the level of what Paul has asked for, what he's expressed that he needs to carry on this work of ministry, but they actually give above and beyond the call of duty. The third thing is that they gave with money and with service. Look again at verse 18. He says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. And then he mentions, I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. So remember this guy, Epaphroditus. He's mentioned a few times throughout this letter. Notice, uh, remember way back at the beginning of this letter, he's the guy who's carrying the letter that Paul is writing back to the Philippians. And he's the guy who brought the initial gift from the Philippians to Paul in prison. And then also remember, in the middle of the book, we had this account of how Epaphroditus took this gift to Paul, that he stayed with him, that he partnered with him in the preaching of the gospel. And then there's this note that Epaphroditus got really sick and that he almost died, that he has this some unknown illness. He almost dies, as Paul says, he almost dies for the sake of Jesus Christ. And then he has this miraculous recovery so much that Paul can send him back to the Philippians. And so what do we see in here? Well, we see that the Philippians aren't just giving money. They don't see their responsibility in partnership to the gospel just as writing a check for Paul, but actually in sending a representative from their church to go and partner with Paul in service and in ministry alongside him. And he did so much, this guy Epaphroditus, that he nearly died in order to serve Paul and to serve the preaching of the gospel. The Philippians gave early and they gave consistently as well. This is what Paul says way back at the beginning of his letter in Philippians chapter 1. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. 
And so we see that not only were the Philippians the only ones to partner with Paul out of all the churches in Macedonia that he planted, but that they were quick to partner with him. That their immediate flinch in seeing Paul move on from them was to say, let us partner with you. Let us support you in carrying this message forward. And he says that they partnered with him from the first day up until now, that they were early and they were consistent in their giving. This next one is really challenging. The Philippians gave out of their poverty. And this is something that we actually see in a different letter that Paul writes to the church in another city called Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says this, he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now hold on just there for a second, because what we know from the text that we're looking at today is that the Philippians were the only church in Macedonia who had partnered with Paul. And so maybe others had followed the Philippians' example and partnered with him. But when he mentions this grace that was given in the churches of Macedonia, he's talking about the Philippians. And notice what he says in verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. The Greek word here for extreme poverty literally means rock-bottom poverty, that they are the bottom of the barrel, the people who are supporting Paul in his mission, who are giving everything that Paul needs and more, have so little to themselves that Paul can say they are rock-bottom poor. This is incredible. And it's so amazing that, that this is the work that God has worked in these poor people who have not only, he says, extreme poverty, but also an abundance of joy, joy in their salvation, joy in the gospel that leads them to give out of what little they have to the work that God is doing through Paul. That is a powerful example. And then finally, the Philippians gave like Jesus. And Paul doesn't explicitly call on the Christ-likeness of their giving in this passage, but if we look at, again, this kind of the center of this letter, that as we've seen week by week, so many things that Paul brings up point backward to chapter 2 where he talks about the character of Jesus Christ. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so Paul, commending this church, this group of people who was already so poor and had given so much to the work of God through him in his ministry, he commends them saying, that they emptied themselves, that they took the form of a servant, that they humbled themselves in order to support the work that God was doing. And so this work that this church did is incredible. And it's an example that is so high up there, that is so almost unattainable. But I think the one way that we can summarize the character of giving that the Philippians had for Paul is really simple. It's that the Philippians gave generously. They gave generously. And we have to be really careful with that word, I think, because we can be tempted to think about generosity in terms of the amount that is given. But notice here in the passage, and actually in the whole letter of Philippians, Paul never once says how much they gave to him. He says he's fully supplied. He says he has more than he needs, but he never says what was in that gift that, the, that Epaphroditus sent to him. He never says how much exactly they gave. Even in that letter to the Corinthians that we looked at, he doesn't say how much they gave because the amount is not the issue here. 
The amount is not the thing that makes generosity generous. It's actually the spirit in which that thing is given. And so you can look at all the things that we've seen from the Philippians and their character of giving and their manner of giving to Paul. And the one thing that runs through all of it is that they are truly, biblically, spiritually generous with him that they give above and beyond early in consistency out of their poverty in a Christ-like way to the work that God is doing through Paul. And so I want to look at the text now to see why that generous giving actually matters in the Christian life. Because Paul is going to use two images here in this text that talk about what giving is that are really, really interesting. So let's start with the first one. First of all, generosity is a spiritual discipline. Generosity is a spiritual discipline. I'll unpack those words and what I mean by that in a moment here. But first, look at verse 17 again. Paul says, not that I seek the gift. I don't seek the gift, he says, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And just pause there for a moment and realize what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I don't so much care about the gift that you sent to me. I'm not so excited about this gift and how it's going to help me. He says, I'm excited about the gift that you've given me and how it's going to help you. And it just strikes me that if Paul doesn't completely believe that, then it is a terrible, terrible, manipulative, coercive thing to say. I mean, just think about that for a second. Think about this, that if I came to you and said, you know what, I really need some money for something, J.D., and I would love it if you would give me the money, but I don't really care about the money, J.D. and Corey. I just am excited to see how God works in your life through the money that you give to me. And then I can say, and put your hands on the TV screen, and I'll, you know, it, it sounds awful. It's hard to believe that Paul would say something like this unless he really believes it. The only way that this makes sense, the only way that this isn't manipulative and actually wicked, is if Paul truly believes that the Philippians giving to God's work through him is actually more to their benefit than it is to his. And that is a crazy, phenomenal way to think about giving. I want to look a little bit deeper here, though, because Paul uses an interesting word there. He says, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Here's the only other place in the book of Philippians that Paul uses the word fruit. Back in chapter 1, he says, It is my prayer, writing to this church, that your love may abound more and more, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So here Paul talks about fruit, but he talks about the fruit of righteousness. In other words, this sort of destination, this goal for the Christian life, this idea of spiritual maturity, his prayer is that their love will abound more and more and so that they will be filled with this fruit of righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Here's the only other place in the New Testament that uses that phrase, fruit of righteousness, in the book of Hebrews. It says this, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so this verse here tells us that this fruit of righteousness, this spiritual maturity that God is working in us, is created through discipline, through training that comes into our lives, that grows us, that trains us in righteousness to make us more and more spiritually mature, all driven by the love of Jesus Christ that works through us. And so, 
Paul is saying here that giving is one of those disciplines. It's part of that training that grows us into spiritual maturity. So let's outline Paul's argument a little bit here, just so we can be really clear that we see this absolutely mind-boggling thing that he's saying here. Here's the argument. First of all, spiritual disciplines are ways we grow in spiritual maturity. That's what we see in the, in the Hebrews passage, that there are certain disciplines, there are certain acts, like reading the scripture, like praying, like um, gathering together with God's people, singing worship. Those things grow us in spiritual maturity. Then Paul associates giving, or yeah, he associates giving with spiritual disciplines. That's what he's doing in this passage when he talks about the fruit that increases to your credit. He's saying, I'm excited about the gift that you're giving me because it is a spiritual discipline that is growing your spiritual maturity even as you give it to me. Therefore, giving, we could say, is a sign of spiritual maturity and a catalyst for spiritual growth. This is an amazing argument that Paul lays out here. Just in saying that he's not so excited about the gift that he can use, but he's excited about the gift and how it benefits the giver of the gift. Generosity is a spiritual discipline, which means the more that we engage in giving, the more that we engage in generosity, the more God grows us. But really the shocking thing is that the opposite is actually true as well. The more we close ourselves off to generosity, the more we shrink spiritually. The more we become anemic spiritually. And that's really the challenging thing here. That Paul is connecting this thing that we think of as so practical, so non-spiritual, writing a check, doing direct deposit, giving to the work of God. Paul says that is building you up spiritually. That is phenomenal. The next one's even crazier. Generosity is an act of worship. Look at verse 18. Paul says, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Then he describes that gift that the church has sent to him as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. This is so interesting that Paul's going to use this kind of language to describe the gift that this church has brought to him. He calls it a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. In other words, Paul is saying that gift that you have given me pleases God. Again, if Paul is saying this and he doesn't really believe it, it is manipulative, it is coercive. But if he really believes it, if we really believe that the Spirit is speaking through Paul here, then this is actually an amazing revelation of what giving can truly be in our lives. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Here, Paul is drawing on the Old Testament sacrificial system, which you may have varying degrees of familiarity with, but basically think about you know, sacrificing an animal on an altar, a whole burnt offering, the fumes rising up to heaven. That's the idea of a fragrant offering to God, that you have this image of the smell of the burning meat ascending up to God. And that's the kind of language that Paul is drawing on here to say your giving is like that to God. It's pleasing. It's fragrant to him. Here's a place where Paul draws on that same Old Testament imagery to talk about worship in the new context under Jesus Christ. In uh, Romans 12:1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is 
your spiritual worship. And so Paul is saying in Romans here that just as the Israelites worshiped God with burnt offerings, now in this, these New Testament times in which we live, our lives are meant to be a living offering, a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable and pleasing and fragrant to God Almighty. It's an act of worship. And so in Philippians, Paul connects that spiritual worship with the act of giving. So let's outline the argument here. A life of obedience is the essence of worship that pleases God. That's what he says in Romans. He says that the way you worship God is by presenting your body, your whole life, in obedience to God. And so how do we worship God? Primarily, we worship God by walking in obedience to his word, to what he's called us to do. Then Paul associates giving with worship that pleases God. Therefore, giving is an act of obedience to God, which brings him joy. This is an amazing thing that Paul's saying here. That part of the way we act in our spiritual worship of giving our bodies as a living sacrifice to God is giving of our finances, giving of what God has given to us. And again, the opposite is really the more shocking thing here. That if it's true that giving is an act of obedience to God, then not giving is an act of disobedience to God. And if it's true that giving is an act that brings God joy, then not giving is an act that robs God of joy. This is amazing, the things that Paul puts forward in this scripture. But here's the problem. And actually, there's a, there's a note of hope in here, but there's also a note that kind of robs us of hope, that generosity is really powerful in a self-centered culture. And I think that we could all agree that to whatever degree you want to accept this, we are living in a self-centered culture. We are living in a culture that tells us from the moment we are born that we need to look out for our goals, our dreams, our hopes, our identities. We need to build who we are. We need to put all those things together. We need to think very carefully about the person that we present to the world around us. We need to absolutely work very hard to make sure that all our social media communicates the right things to all the people who are following us and all the people that we are following. We think so much about ourselves. And it's so common in the culture in which we live to be so focused on ourselves. And in that world, generosity, which gives of what I have to someone else, just freely given, that is a powerful statement. The church has an opportunity here to speak powerfully the grace of God by being generous in a world where generosity really makes no sense. Do you realize and I'm sure you feel this, there are a million and one things that are after your money. There are a million and one people and products and businesses that are after your money. And you just think about it this way. Have you noticed the rise over the past, you know, 10 years of those subscription services for just about everything you can imagine, where you order something and on a monthly basis you will receive in the mail some product, some thing that you're after? Um, there's a lot of normal ones out there like razors, uh, groceries, coffee, makeup, Dog food is another one. You can get those all in the mail. Do you realize, though, there's more weird stuff out there? Like, you can get a, a monthly subscription for exotic ramens, which is very interesting. So if you're sick of the regular old top ramen, you can go and get some other ramen, exotic ramens. You can also get Disney-branded merchandise delivered to your doorstep once a month because, you know, in these trying times, it's hard to go out to the <laughs> Disney store and order and buy some Mickeys so you can get them online. Um, pickles. You can get pickles delivered to you monthly for a small fee. 
Uh, Murder Mysteries, and this one um, I kind of get, but also it just seems a little dark that you want someone to send you the story of someone being murdered um, to your house every month. And then finally, Antiques is something that you can order, which just seems to defeat the purpose of Antiques. I can't explain it, but to have them delivered to your house just doesn't make a lot of sense. But then, on top of that, you guys... You can get subscription services for things that literally nobody has ever needed and nobody ever will need in the course of their entire lives. You can get a subscription service that for a monthly fee will deliver to your doorstep every month zombie makeup. Can't explain it. Uh, Here's a good one, slime. It's just slime. It's a bucket of slime. So that last month's slime you can throw out and then use the new month's slime. Skeleton models. I don't know why you would be going through a lot of those. Um, This is maybe my favorite. Pro wrestler headshots. Yeah, I think my brother might be into that. Yeah. Um, And then then Moss is the last one, which I just really, I really don't understand that one. It, It literally grows on things, and you can't stop it from growing on things, and yet we need it delivered to our house. This is the culture that we live in, you guys. This is madness. These things want your money on a monthly basis to provide you with things that you never could possibly really need. Here's the problem. It's really fun to mock the culture, but we're in the culture. We built this culture. We we suffer from the exact same self-centeredness that drives us to do absurd things like this. And we, in our self-centeredness, continue down that same road. Look at Matthew 6, where Jesus says something amazing. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus tells us here that what we treasure is what has a hold of our hearts. And if you don't know what you treasure, I don't think the way that we figure that out is just by looking at what we do spend our money on, because the reality is we all have to spend money on things that we wish we didn't have to spend money on. But actually ask yourself, what is it easy for me to spend my money on? What do I actually delight in putting my money toward? And I think if we were really honest and we asked ourselves that question, we would see that the thing we love to spend money on is typically ourselves. I know for me, It can be so difficult to write that check, to give up that cash in my wallet when somebody needs help, but I never really seem to have problem buying myself a cup of coffee. I never really seem to have trouble buying myself dinner out with my wife. I never seem to hesitate when we're going to go do something fun and I have to spend money on that. What do you delight in spending money on? That's your treasure, and that's what has a hold of your heart. And if we're really honest with ourselves... We're treasuring ourselves, and we're giving money to that. The solution to all of this, because I know it seems hopeful, it seems or hopeless, it seems like we can't actually have generosity in this world because we're so trained the other way. The only hope here is that generosity is possible with a generous God. Generosity is possible because our God is generous with us. And that's how Paul closes this section of the letter. He says in verses 19 and 20, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Remember my story at the beginning. 
this attitude that I don't think I'm alone in when you go outside and you have to keep your eyes on the prize and you have to be fearful and, and hesitant and suspicious of everyone because you've got to protect yourself. Think about that kind of attitude we can have with our money that I can't give it away because I might need it someday. And then what am I going to do? I'm not going to have money. I can't support myself. I can't support my family. Paul says that the solution to that kind of fear-driven greed, which truly is greed, is to know that God is eternally, infinitely generous with us. God, as creator, has given you everything you have. He's given you your health. He's given you your life. And God, as savior through his son, Jesus Christ, has given you eternal life, redemption, salvation, new life, new hope, a new future, and a new relationship with God. And if that's true, that we have our, all our needs supplied by him, by that generous God, then Christians, we have nothing to fear, and so we have no reason not to be generous. Will you pray with me? I just want you to stop and, in this moment, come into the presence of God, recognize that he is always with you, and that's part of God's generosity, that you have access to him at all times through Jesus Christ, through the Spirit within you. But in this moment, I just want to come before God, and maybe some of us need to repent of our greed, even if it is fear-driven greed, to recognize that maybe the reason that we're not more generous is because we don't really trust God. We don't trust him to provide, to supply our every need. And so as we go to worship now, we're going to sing songs about how everything we have comes from Jesus Christ. And so as we sing those words, I just want to challenge you to really see if you can believe those words. See if, as we sing those words, if it does anything to you. See if the God of peace comes to minister to you as you try more and more to focus on Jesus Christ, on his generosity, on his kindness to you and to allow that to overflow in a wealth of generosity to him, to his people, and to this world.